retreat. If there are families here with uh, children that are student-aged, I highly encourage you to check out Fall Retreat and be a part of what they're doing this year. It, uh, sanctification, leveling up, looks awesome, uh, and it's going to be great. So just want to give that plug right there. Uh, pastor Kenny mentioned, I'm Pastor Jason. I have the opportunity to engage with God's word with you all this morning. I love each opportunity to do that because I truly believe that uh, God's word is able to transform us uh, insofar as we encounter Jesus through it. There's nothing particularly special about the Bible unless uh, it allows us to encounter the Lord and points us to Jesus. And when it does that, it can have transformative power. And that's what we're praying for this morning. We're going to be looking at Mark chapter 9, so if you have Bibles that you follow along with or a phone that you use to access a digital version of the Bible, you can get situated at Mark chapter 9, and while you do that, I'm just going to set up Mark 9 with a little bit about myself, a little story, Uh, and by the end of the story, you may not want to get into a car with me, but that's a risk I'm willing to take. A few years ago, several years ago, my wife and I had the opportunity to travel to the UK uh, and spend some time uh, sightseeing and, and doing some, having some fun adventures together for the span of uh, several days. And we decided we were going to rent a vehicle there. And if you don't know this, over across the pond, uh, they do things kind of wonky over there, a lot of things. They have weird words, uh, like biscuit means cookie. Um, I don't know what that is all about, but I'm thankful for the Revolutionary War. Um, (laughs) I got into this car, and the steering wheel was on the wrong side. And then, uh, drivers were upset with me for driving in the right lane. uh, Because everything is backwards on the roads over there. And it took a ton of focus, took a lot of effort. It felt like I was a brand new driver, like I was focusing on everything uh, to make sure that I was staying in the right lane and kind of in the right position in the lane because the steering wheel's on the other side. And, and uh, yeah, it, it was draining, to be honest, to, to drive as much as we did. But just like anything else, as time went on, I got a little bit more comfortable with it, was able to uh, not be so stressed or not be so focused necessarily on the mechanics of the driving. And so got a little bit more comfortable. Also, though, as time went on, we got a little bit further north in England. And the further north you get, the tighter the roads get. And you hit a point where the road is uh, really just a one lane and there's these little pull-offs everywhere, and uh, you're, you're riding right next to, there's no shoulder. It's just an ancient uh, stone wall that you're riding right next to it. At any time, you could hit it. Great. Well, I got to the point where I kind of slipped into autopilot while I was driving. Autopilot's not the greatest when you're in a situation where everything is the opposite of your autopilot. One thing led to another, and somehow... At some point, there was a Mini Coupe, and the, the mirror on that Mini Coupe, shortly after I drove past it, magically fell off of the Mini Coupe. It could potentially, I guess, have been that our mirror clipped it and knocked it off, and we had to work with the rental company and insurance and all that. Um, 
And so, yeah, maybe you don't want to get into the car with me now. But I tell this story to bring up this idea of autopilot. Uh, that can happen with anything. As, as we get comfortable with new experiences or new things that we are learning or new things that we are engaging in or new things that we are doing, we tend to begin to lose focus on kind of the mechanics and the basics. We get comfortable enough that we can get into autopilot. And um, that's typically where mistakes start to happen in our lives with, diff- with anything. Did you know that that could happen with our faith in Jesus as well? I'd like to paint uh, a different picture for you. Sin has corrupted humankind. We are born with the wrong default settings. We are born with a corrupted autopilot. And if if you have uh, put your faith in Jesus, when you did that, the Apostle Paul tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.17 that everything is different. The old has passed away and the new has come. You've, you've gone from knowing how to drive in America to a brand new setting in, in the UK. And, and you need to be able to adapt to this new setting. Going into autopilot, you're, you're going to clip some mirrors or worse. And so it is with our, our faith in Christ. We live in a corrupted world. We were born as sinners, and so everything about us wants to be dependent on ourselves. That was one of the original sins, uh, one of the original intentions in the Garden of Eden that separated us from the Lord. God, we don't need you. We, I, I could be God. If I eat of the fruit, I could be wise and be like the Lord, and, and I won't need him. And so our, our corrupted autopilot says, I don't need the Lord. I'm self-sufficient. And it's easy as Christians walking with the Lord at some point to kind of just go into our corrupted autopilot and not be depending on the Lord, but be depending on ourselves. Our tendency is to slowly slip into that, that trust in our own strength. The passage that we have from Mark this morning is a helpful reminder that we need Jesus. And so the challenge this morning is don't slip into autopilot And I'm going to invite you to stand as we hear from the word of the Lord. You can follow along either on the screen or with your Bibles. From Mark chapter 9, starting in verse 14, we're going to read a story about how the disciples had slipped into autopilot and and learned some lessons from that. So as we read in the gospel of Mark, we read, and when they came to the disciples, so Jesus and and the other three, Peter and, and John and James had just gone up to the mountain uh, for transfiguration. Pastor Kenny taught on that last week. They're coming back from that. That's they. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And he asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And somebody from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you. For he has a spirit that makes him mute, and whenever it seizes him, it throws him down, and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out, and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. And they brought the boy to him. And when the spirit saw him, immediately it convulsed the boy, and he fell on the ground and rolled about, foaming at the mouth. 
And Jesus asked his father, how long has this been happening to him? And he said, from childhood. And it has often cast him into fire and into water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. And Jesus said to him, if you can, all things are possible for one who believes. Immediately, the father of the child cried out and said, I believe, help my unbelief. And when Jesus saw that a crowd came running together, he rebuked the unclean spirit, saying to it, you mute and deaf spirit, I command you, come out of him and never enter him again. And after crying out and convulsing him terribly, it came out, and the boy was like a corpse, so that most of them said, he is dead. But Jesus took him by the hand and lifted him up, and he arose. And when he had entered the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And he said to them, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. The word of the Lord this morning, you may be seated. And would you pray with me as we engage God's word? Jesus, we pray that you would meet us here that you would allow us to encounter you through your word and be challenged to continue to trust in you. We lean not on our own understanding and not on our own strength. We lean on you and you alone this morning. And it's in your name we pray, amen. See, the disciples had uh, fallen into autopilot mode and were unable and powerless to engage in the ministry and the work that they'd been called to because they were doing it in their own strength. And Christ tells them right at the end of the passage here that, yeah, of course, uh, you're fighting a spiritual battle. You need spiritual weapons. You can't do it in your own strength. You can't do it uh, physically. It, it happens spiritually, and we do that through, through prayer. So when we look at this whole passage, we're going to look at three juxtapositions of worldly logic versus kingdom logic that we can see laid out in this passage. We're going to see the, the difference between uh, worldly thinking and kingdom thinking as we're in this series called Kingdom Logic. And uh, we're going to identify some of the areas in our lives where we sometimes slip into autopilot and act in our own strength. And so these juxtapositions will hopefully allow us to identify areas in our own hearts where we may be seeking the Lord or seeking to do the Lord's will in our own strength and apart from the Lord. And, and hopefully we'll be able to spend some time in prayer with some prayer ministers later about our dependence on the Lord. But for now, let's look at these three juxtapositions and then uh, we'll look at some implications of uh, kingdom logic after that. So the first juxtaposition that we can see as we read this story is this, that worldly logic tends to say, if it's to be, it's up to me. Kingdom logic flips that and says, if it's to be, it's up to he. Okay, I know, I know. There are some grammar police in here, okay? And I'm a, I'm a grammar guy myself, but this, this just works better to say if it's to be, it's up to me versus he. It didn't sound as good to say it's up to him, even though that's grammatically correct, okay? So yeah, if the grammar's wrong, get over it, all right? It's gonna be okay. If it's to be, it's up to he is kingdom logic, up to him. 
In Mark 9, the disciples failed, as we just saw, to cast that demon out. And in verse 28, they ask Jesus. They get the chance uh, for a private audience with him in the house. And Jesus, why couldn't we do it? And Jesus responds to them in the following verse. Verse 29, he says, this kind cannot be driven out by anything but prayer. What Jesus is not saying, he's not saying there are different types of demons and there are certain ones that if you say the right words, you can do it without prayer. There are certain ones that if you've got the right person, you can do it without prayer. What he's saying is this phenomenon, this idea of this spirit, the spiritual world engaging with the physical world, you can't engage with that apart from prayer, apart from dependence on the Lord because Christ is the one who is able to engage and fight on our behalf. That's what Christ is saying when he says this one can only be cast out by prayer. He's not saying, yeah, but some demons you could do on your own. Go ahead. I don't know if I'd ever want to try that. It's dependence on the Lord. But if you have read the gospel of Mark uh, recently, you may remember in Mark 6, Jesus sent the disciples out and and told them to preach the gospel and to heal uh, the blind and heal the sick and also to cast out demons. And the disciples go out and they're preaching the gospel and they're healing the blind and they're healing the sick and they are successfully casting out demons. They've done it before. Why can't they do it now? I think that this story is told in such a way that it elicits from the reader a response to say, oh, it seems as if the disciples are depending on themselves and not on the Lord. And I can only imagine that they went through the gradual process of, yeah, we've, we've, we've got a great count. We've got 13 demons. We've already done this before. We're getting pretty good at this. Our experience might carry us along to the next one. We got the right, hey, what you did, Peter, last time, what you said, say that again, because that's going to be the ticket right there, right? Our experience works. Uh, this worked last time. These words worked last time. This group of people worked last time. And subtly and slowly, they start to trust in that process. And they start to trust in those words or phrases, and they start to trust in their own strength or their own experience, and they're no longer trusting in the Lord. And they're allowed to fail so that they and we can learn this lesson to not go into autopilot. We are told to trust in ourselves, that if if we want to accomplish something, you must set your mind to it and do it for yourself. That's our autopilot. And we don't want to slip into that. We might clip some mirrors or cause even worse accidents than that. I mean, clipping the mirrors, nothing. That's what I told the insurance people. Not a big deal. They'd gone to the corrupted autopilot that depends on their own strength. Maybe you can relate to this. Right after I uh, put my faith fully in Jesus as a a uh, high school student later on in, in high school, I, uh, I recognized, man, there's, I got a lot of gunk that's got to get cleaned up. And I had built a foundation uh, on myself and, and on what I can accomplish. And I got to remove that and replace Jesus. And when I looked at the task of replacing Jesus as the foundation in my life, that was daunting. I was also, though, in a season of recognizing yeah, I, I can't do this by myself. I need the Lord. He's the one who's going to work. He's the one that's going to transform me. He's the one that's going to sanctify me. He's the one that's going to bring the change about in my life. And I just need to depend on him and continue to lean into him because that's where my strength and my help comes from, to depend on him wholly. But as time went on, I learned, oh, 
uh, when I spend time in the Word every morning, that, that really helps my thoughts throughout the day. And slowly and slowly, that's what I depended on, was spending time in God's Word and not on the Lord himself. Spending time in God's Word in the morning is great. This is not your pastor telling you don't read your Bible. This is your pastor telling you read your Bible to encounter Jesus because that's who you need. Having a regular quiet time is not what you need. Your Savior is who you need. It's easy to slip into autopilot, even with good things. Whatever it is for you, the right regimen. Hey, this worked last time when I was fighting this temptation. I'll try it again because that's what worked. No. Trusting in the Lord worked last time. Jesus broke those chains. That's what I will lean on. But it is so easy to get comfortable and as experience, as we gain experience walking with the Lord, we can go into autopilot and it's dangerous. For the disciples, they failed. They failed publicly. So they failed in front of this crowd. This, this guy brings his son in front of a crowd and they failed publicly. I don't like failing publicly. I only do things that I'm good at in front of people. I don't do things that I'm not good at. That way it looks like I'm good at everything. It's a great strategy. But they fail publicly. And on top of that, they bear the name of Christ. They failed publicly in the name of Jesus. It hurt their witness. Because they had gone into autopilot and they were trusting in their own strength instead of in the strength of the Lord. And they had believed this worldly logic, if it's to be, it's up to me. It's dependent on us to fight this spiritual battle in our own strength. When the disciples slipped into that worldly logic, they failed. And Jesus is calling us to embrace the kingdom logic. We're not in America anymore. We're, we're driving on the wrong side of the road here and we, we can't lose our focus that when we enter the kingdom, there is a new set of rules. There is a new way of operating. It's not the one that we inherited from Adam. If it's to be, it's up to me. Mm -mm. If it's to be, it's up to he, him. The next juxtaposition that we see in this story is worldly logic will tell us that dependency is a sign of weakness. Whereas kingdom logic says uh, dependency is the source for strength. We see the crowds teach us this one in verses 14 and 15. You may notice as you read through the Gospels, and particularly the Gospel of Mark, the disciples are always the characters that teach us the negative things. Don't do that. Don't be like them. It's somewhat humorous, but it's also uh, funny because it's true that we are those same disciples who always learn those negative lessons. But the disciples never really teach us, well, sometimes, but they typically don't teach us positive lessons. What's interesting in this uh, case this morning is that the crowds who are marginally interested in Jesus, mostly for his miracles, they teach us an amazing lesson, and then the Father will teach us another great lesson this morning. The disciples, we just learned, uh, we just learned they were depending on themselves, and so we learned what not to do. But from the crowds, we learn what to do. We learn this dependency as the source for strength from the crowds. Whenever Jesus leaves the disciples, they fall into crisis. Can you picture this scene of what had happened to these disciples? Jesus took the three, uh, Peter, James, and John, went up onto the mountain, transfiguration. This man brings his son, uh, who's demon-possessed, 
to Jesus, he says. The man actually recognizes that he needs to bring it to Jesus, not to his disciples. Settles for the disciples because Jesus is gone. I guess you guys will do. And they fail. The scribes then come in and are arguing with the disciples. We don't know what about. The story is told in a way that it probably seems right to say they were uh, accusing the disciples and saying, how could Jesus really be the Messiah if he can't perform these, perform these signs on his behalf? He's not truly the Messiah. Again, he had fa- they had failed publicly. They mess it up and uh, they're, they're in this hijinks. Then the crowd sees Jesus and they're like, finally. And it says in Mark, the crowd was amazed and they sprinted towards him. In Mark, The crowds are only ever amazed after Jesus has performed a miracle or after he has done a teaching. Why are they amazed before? Because they recognize uh, the disciples just screwed this up majorly. There's the guy that we need. They're amazed and sprint to Jesus saying, yeah, dependency, uh, it's not a sign of weakness. We actually need that guy. He's the only one that can get everybody out of this mess right now. And he's the only one who may be able to actually uh, get this demon out of here. Worldly logic teaches us that being dependent on somebody or something is a sign of weakness. The successful person is the one who is independent. Doesn't need any handouts. Doesn't need any help. I'll tell you, I fall into that thinking every time I enter a grocery store. No, I'm okay. I, I, know, I know where to get the asparagus. No, I know where I can find the chocolate chips. And then 10 minutes later, I go and I hunt somebody down and say, uh, yeah, asking for a friend. Do you know where the chocolate chips are? I guess apparently all we eat at our house is asparagus and chocolate chips. But I fall into this. I don't want to ask because I don't need help. Now, it's a small example with marginal influence on my life. What about the bigger things? The major decisions in our lives or when we genuinely need help or brothers or sisters to pray for us or, or to provide for us and we fall into autopilot. No, I don't, I don't need that. I I'm a failure if I'm dependent on you for anything. I want to remind us this morning, God created us as dependent beings. That's his design, is for us to be dependent upon him. And and that's how his grace works in our lives. We were were wholly dependent on the Lord. We were dead in our sins, and God made us alive. Dead people don't help in the resuscitation process. I'm not a scientist, but... I think I know enough about the human body that that's not how it works. When we were dead in our sins, we needed Christ wholly, fully. We are helpless. And nobody else can do what Jesus can do for us. Jesus can heal. Jesus can fix. Jesus is the one who brings peace in the midst of the storm. Jesus is the one who can reconcile that relationship in your life. Jesus is the one who is our rock and our redeemer. He is our stronghold in times of trouble. It's him, nothing, and no one else. 
the crowd recognizes that where the frailty of the disciples was insufficient, Jesus Christ is sufficient. That's what verse 18, if you look there at Mark 9, verse 18, that's what it's getting at. The last phrase where, where uh, the father says that the disciples were not able to do it is a, it's not usually the way that, that in the Greek it, it, it means unable. It's a stronger word that basically means they were powerless. They, they had zero ability. They were too weak. And the disciples needed to recognize that weakness and therefore their dependence on Jesus. Yet they failed to do that. They, were reckon, they, they almost lived in this lie from the world that dependency is a sign of weakness. No, we got this. We don't need help. Do you believe this morning that Jesus is sufficient? Not just do you say that with your lips, but do you live in a way in which you demonstrate to yourself and those around you that Jesus is sufficient? Or have you been slowly slipping into autopilot and relying on yourself? Depending on your own strength to grow in holiness or depending on your winsomeness to mend a relationship, or depending on your grit to fight a temptation, or depending on your wisdom to raise your kids in the Lord, or to strengthen your marriage, or to bring others into the kingdom of heaven and share the gospel. Maybe you're even treating your salvation as something that you add to, and you feel this morning the weight of trying to please the Lord because in some ways you slipped into autopilot and truly believe that you need to do something to add to your salvation. Maybe you feel that this morning. Jesus wants you to be free from that, and this story allows us to be free from that, to recognize that dependency is the source for strength. It's not a sign of weakness. Are you depending fully on Jesus this morning? Or have you slipped into that corrupted autopilot that says dependency is weakness? I encourage you to continue to engage with these questions on the worldly logic versus kingdom logic. That, that first one of if it's to be, it's up to me versus if it's to be, it's up to he. Or this one, dependency is a sign of weakness versus kingdom logic, that dependency is the source for strength. There's going to be one more that we look at, but as the Lord is stirring in your heart, we're, we're going to be ending in a time of prayer where we confess uh, any ways that we're depending on ourselves and, and re-upping our dependence on the Lord. And I just want us to be present for that. And so I encourage you in the next few moments, in the next few minutes, do what you need to do in your heart uh, to identify where you may be in autopilot and where you may be walking in your own strength instead of in the strength uh, of the Lord. There is one more that we'll look at, though. One more juxtaposition that we see here, and that's this one, that failure is defined by lack of feats from a worldly standpoint. Now, here's another one where uh, I couldn't find a better word, and feats is like accomplishment. All, for those who can't see the slides, this is spelled F-E-A-T-S, not F-E-E-T-S. Um, I don't think many people would say that lack of feats. I don't know what that means, but, okay, lack of feats, weird phrase, just means accomplishments, and it's only up there because I like alliteration, okay? Is that okay with you guys, or should I change it? It's all right? All right. Failure is defined by lack of feats, accomplishments, uh, productivity. 
In kingdom logic, though, failure is defined by lack of faith. This speaks to the definitions that we apply to success and to failure. When Jesus hears how the father brought this demon-possessed son uh, and the disciples have failed to cast it out, look at verse 19. If you have your Bibles open, if you have them ready, look at verse 19. When Jesus hears about what happened, how does he respond to this failure? What does he identify as the failure that took place? He responds and he says, Oh, powerless and unsuccessful generation. Nope. Oh, lazy and lack of effort generation. Wrong again. Oh, product, unproductive generation. Oh, unwise and ignorant generation. None of those things define success or failure in kingdom logic. What Jesus actually says is, oh, faithless generation. We have an incident where the disciples have publicly failed to cast a demon out. The Father has identified because they were powerless, yet Jesus doesn't say the reason that they couldn't cast him out is because they're powerless. Yes, that's true. The root reason why they failed is because of their lack of faith. In kingdom logic, failure is defined by lack of faith. In worldly logic, failure is defined by lack of feats and accomplishments. The disciples failed on both fronts here. They failed according to worldly logic because they couldn't accomplish the task. But they failed to accomplish the task because they failed to trust in the Lord. Faithless generation. It wasn't lack of accomplishment. It wasn't a lack of worldly success or power. It was the lack of their faith that Jesus laments. The Father is the one who shows us that. I love, look at verse 24. The Father responds to Jesus. I believe. Help my unbelief. Verse 22, he has a different request for help. Jesus, if you can do anything, if you can help at all, please help my son. That same word is used two verses later there in 24 where he says, help my unbelief. Because in between in verse 23, Jesus says, all things are possible for the one who believes. And so the father recognizes that success here is not casting out the demon and accomplishing this thing. But success was, where is my faith? And is my faith going to be present? And so the father changes his petition. If he was working off of worldly logic, he would have remained fixated on the miracle. Jesus, yes, I believe. Of course I believe. So please cast out my, help me. Please help do this thing. Instead, he says, light bulb goes on. He goes, Jesus, I do believe, but I also recognize that I need more faith, and that's where I need my help, is to trust in you. I brought my son to you. You weren't here. I settled for your disciples, and they let me down, so my faith is now wavering. My faith is now faltering because I've been hurt by the, by the disciples. Maybe you can relate. My faith is now faltering because I've been hurt by the church. I've been hurt by a pastor. I've been hurt by Christians. 
And the answer is not to find that healing in your own strength. And it's okay to have that frailty of faith as long as we bring it to the Lord like the Father does and says, I do believe, but I got some doubts. Listen, you you can't hide your doubts from God. He knows. So don't try. The Father recognizes that in worldly logic, yeah, we'd, we'd focus on the miracle, we'd focus on the accomplishment, we'd focus on the productivity, but in kingdom logic, we focus on the faith. Is it there or not? The corollary is true as well, that if failure is defined by lack of faith in, the, in kingdom logic, then success is defined by the presence of faith. Don't slip into autopilot on this one. It's easy to do this one. Define our success based on the fruit. Define our success based on what we're producing. Define our success based on what we're accomplishing. Yes, a tree that is in good soil will bear good fruit. But let's not get fixated on the accomplishment where the father fixates on the faith and says what I really need help with is to continue to believe Jesus. So I wanna end with some implications for us. The first is that even feeble faith is enough. I believe, the Father says, help my unbelief. Even his feeble, weak faith was enough. That's because Christ is our savior and faith isn't what saves us. Jesus does. That's how able and powerful Christ is. I, I play tennis a little bit. I watch professional tennis players play. They play at a crazy high level. That's how good they are. If I gave them the oldest, jankiest wooden racket to play with and said, let's play, they're still going to beat me despite how terrible that instrument is that they're using, that racket is that they're using because they're that good. If I give to the Lord my feeble, tiny, minuscule little faith, he's powerful enough to take that and still work. It's not as if I have to hit a quota of faith and then activate Jesus' power. I'm a pagan and I watch the movie Elf sometimes around Christmas time. I'll admit it. In that movie, the reindeers run on Christmas spirit, believing in something, believing in Christmas. And one of the issues is, Oh, we got to use new technology because there's not enough Christmas spirit. There's not enough faith that, is, that are getting these reindeer off the ground. That's not how faith works. That's not how faith in Jesus works, as if I need to have a certain level of faith in order for Jesus to work. Do you want to know what we're doing if we subtly start to believe that it's about how much I can believe and how strong my faith is? I've slipped into autopilot mode. And I've slipped into thinking The strength of my faith is what will allow Christ to work in power. Don't slip into that. Do we want to be strengthened in our faith? Absolutely. Can Christ take faith the size of a mustard seed and use it to move mountains? I think I read that somewhere. Feeble faith works because our Savior is that strong, especially feeble faith 
that recognizes how weak it is. I believe. Help my unbelief, Jesus. Thirdly, recognizing our feebleness is a step towards growing. The father's faith had to have been rocked. I mean, he came, he came looking for Jesus. That's what the story says. He says, I brought my son, not to the disciples, I brought my son to you. You weren't here, I settled for them. And they rocked my faith. I had heard reports that these guys could do it. And they couldn't. That shook his faith. Because then he tells Jesus, uh, Jesus, well, if, if, you can, if, if, if you could do anything to help. He's not saying, well, assuming that you can do everything because you're God. He's saying, if there's anything that you can do, Jesus, I don't know if there is because your disciples couldn't. His faith has been rocked. And he brings that to the Lord. He recognizes the feebleness of his faith. And that's a step towards growth because I... I tell you what, Mark doesn't tell us, but this father had to leave this encounter changed. This father had to leave with a stronger faith in Christ Jesus. Especially after saying, Jesus, I, I don't even know. I'm doubting in my faith. And Jesus saying, that's enough. We can work with that. This father had to leave encouraged and growing in the Lord as he recognized the feebleness of his faith and Christ still worked through it. Finally, as we invite the worship team to come back out and help us respond to the word this morning, the last implication is we become most able when we depend on our Savior through prayer, which we see in the last verse of this encounter in verse 29 where Jesus says, this can only be done through prayer by depending on the Lord. That's what this idea of fighting our autopilot is ultimately driving at. When we're dependent on ourselves, when we're dependent on our own strength, what use is prayer to us? If it's to be, it's up to me. I'm not going to waste my time praying. If dependency is a sign of weakness, you won't see me on my knees. If what's successful in the world is the things that I can accomplish, I'm not going to waste time praying about it. I'm going to go do it. But we are most able when we depend on Jesus through prayer. And we can only receive that teaching when we receive kingdom logic and don't fall into autopilot and receive worldly logic. I'll tell you for me, when it there's a few things where that hits for me personally. I don't, I don't do this well. I, I'm an autopilot guy. I fall into my corrupted autopilot all the time. When it comes to sharing the gospel, I don't say this out loud, but I often operate uh, in terms of sharing my faith with, oh, let me, let me be really witty. Let me be really winsome. Let me think of better metaphors to share with people. Why would I waste time uh, uh, praying for people? Well, because prayer is where breakthrough will happen. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I should have learned that lesson when I spent some time in Ecuador and wasn't able to use anything except just read word for word a Bible tract. And, huh, the Lord still used it. Go figure. Wherever you are at this morning, church, 
you are able to faithfully walk with Jesus and do all that he is calling you to do. Not because of your own strength or experiences, not even because of the strength of your faith, but because of the strength of your Savior who is able. You are, you are able because he is. And as we hand that to the Lord and say, yeah, I'm weak, but you are strong, and, and I need you to help. As we hand that to him, he will certainly strengthen our faith as he works even through the feeblest of our faith. Church, you are able to faithfully walk with Jesus because he is strong. As we transition into a time of communion, communion is an awesome reminder this morning of what we truly believe about our dependence on the Lord. That, that we are acknowledging to Christ Jesus when we remember his sacrifice that apart from what he's done for us, we don't have kingdom logic. We're not in the kingdom. If Christ hadn't acted, we would still be in our corrupted, sinful, worldly ways. He, he had to intervene, and he had to sacrifice himself for us, and we remember that this morning. We partake in communion together this morning to, to physically live that out, that, Jesus, we are wholly dependent on you and you alone. We confess that together this morning at the Lord's table. And I want to give us a few prayer prompts as we prepare our hearts for communion so we will have a song in response in a moment here. And during that song, uh, work through one, two, three, however many, whichever many of the prompts that you feel like you need to. Receive the elements during the song. Make your way back to your chairs. I'll lead us in communion. Then there will be two songs after that where there will be prayer ministers lined up after you've processed in your heart, ready to pray with you. And, and, and lift one another up to the Lord because that's what Jesus is calling us to do this morning. And so I just want you to see these prayer prompts and start engaging with them right now before we transition. Confess your feeble faith to the Lord and confess what is making that faith feeble. Asking where are you failing right now because you're not depending on the Lord or perhaps more dangerous, where are you succeeding right now and are yet failing because you're doing it in your own strength. Just again, encourage you to engage with those during this time of worship. I'll open it up with a word of prayer. The team will sing a song, and we'll get the communion going. Jesus, we confess together how often we turn to our own strength, how often we want to add to what you have done in your death and resurrection for us. We praise you that you are patient with us and you even use stories like Mark 9 and you even use failure to teach us. Give us humble hearts to learn. Give us hearts that are ready to receive instruction from you. Hearts that are ready to depend on you and not on our own strength. We need you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.